Matthew 13. If you have Bibles, that's where we're going to, Matthew chapter 13. Communication can be complicated. We communicate all the time uh, as human beings to parents to children or a spouse to a spouse. We get all kinds, if you're like me anyway, all kinds of communication at work. Lots and lots of emails, maybe texts, whatever else, verbal uh, memorandums. And then we get uh, various communication going on in, in terms of if you're newly married, maybe you get communication from your in-laws about the holiday expectations. Or signs that just communicate speed limits or stop or whatever they might say. Communication is happening all of the time in our lives. So I want to recognize, though, that while this happens all the time, there are times we communicate or are communicated to, and that communication doesn't really sink in to our consciousness. So a parent says to a child, I want the yard mowed by 4 o'clock when I'm coming home today. And at 3.55, that grass is still the same length that it was that morning. Or a husband and a wife are talking to one another across a table, trying to understand one another. Maybe it's just me and my wife, I don't know. But maybe have moments of those moments there in terms of spouses trying to communicate and not always seeing what's going on eye to eye in that kind of a way. You get an email or a text at work that you conveniently ignore and hope the boss just forgets about. Your in-laws lay down those holiday expectations to you, and you either passively or perhaps aggressively uh, do not comply. And then a sign says 55 miles an hour speed limit, and you say, that's open to interpretation, right? Yeah, so we, we have communication all the time in our lives, and, and that demands not just that we hear with our physical ears and see with our physical eyes those things, but that we actually respond to, we implement what was asked of us or what desired of us or demanded of us in that communication. Real hearing is about relationship with another person. And here today in this text, we're going to see a call from Jesus to hear, to see, and respond to what he is saying to us. He wants us to see and behold and recognize and hear all that's being said in this, this passage here and respond to it in kind. And we'll see there are various responses to the word of Jesus. But the call here is to have perspective based on what he says and then to walk in hope and joy and peace and expectation of all that God is going to do. So here we arrive at Matthew 13. This is the third of five teaching blocks in the book overall. So this section here uh, focuses in on kingdom parables, lots of parables about the kingdom of God, and, and a call to discipleship and to live with Jesus in a certain kind of way. And again, he's going to say, I want you to have ears to hear this and eyes to see what's being said. And for disciples of Jesus, the call in this passage will be clear, and it's this. Hear the word of the kingdom, embrace the king, and live as kingdom citizens. 
That is what Jesus is going to say to us in these parables. Hear, hear this word of the kingdom. Embrace him as king and then live as kingdom citizens. To review briefly, in Matthew 8 and 9, a few weeks back now, a variety of signs and miracles Jesus did. He heals, he casts out demons, he calms a storm, evidencing, I am the Messiah. I am the prophesied one who's come. In chapter 10, he sends out his disciples to go and proclaim, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Chapter 11, he speaks to John the Baptist and who he is, and he also denounces some cities for not embracing who he is and what he's doing in this time on earth. Then last week in chapter 12, some people even have the audacity, the Pharisees among them, to say when Jesus casts out a demon, to say he's doing that by the power of Satan. Blasphemy, literally. We see him reject Jesus and his teaching. And, and even many of the crowds just seem to be captivated by he does a lot of signs, does some cool things, but they're, they're not fully embracing the call to follow Jesus as a disciple. So now in 13, this is a major turning point in the gospel. People have heard Jesus' teaching, they've recognized who he is and what he said. But we're going to see here a division of those who just reject it overall and those who've received it and how they're then called to go forward. So, as I said, a lot of parables in here, a lot of stories conveying meaning, key meaning, but again, two audiences. There's, there's the crowd on one hand and there are the disciples on the other hand. And the crowd only gets 17 out of the 50 verses where Jesus is teaching and the disciples get all of that, again, to convey this idea of saying, man, crowds, you've heard this, you've seen this, and you've squandered a lot of what I've said and what I've done in your midst, but these disciples, they're gonna hear and they're gonna see in the right kinds of ways. So let's look first at the word to the crowds. The word to the crowds. So Bart read verses one to nine there, but just picture this. In verse one it says, that same day. So you should ask, what same day? And I think you go to chapter 12 and see this is the same day the Pharisees say he's doing this by the power of Satan. And they ask him for a sign. And it says, no sign is given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And uh, then to say, hey, those who follow me, who hear me and do my will, that's my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And now he goes right on in the same day teach. So picture the scene. Big crowd. So much so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to get in a boat and speak these truths so they can hear this, and you all get on the beach, get on the shore, and listen to what's going to be said. And he conveys these truths. And again, this is already read, but just to note, he talks about a farmer scattering seed. And some falls on the path, some on shallow soil, some on thorny soil and so on good soil and the good soil yields a harvest now at that point in time jesus perhaps pauses maybe he interacts with the disciples on the boat at that point in time but if you're the crowd hearing that you may you may say ah 
This guy's talking about farming. Why is he talking about farming? I thought he was a teacher of like, the Bible. Why is he talking about seed and farmers? And then Jesus comes back in verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Which they may hear, like more farming? Oh, okay. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, and the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, if I, if I was in that crowd, that last parable there, I'd say, oh, like at the Kimball house, Friday night is homemade pizza or homemade calzone night, one or the other. And it always makes the dough, got yeast in there, cover the bowl, and an hour later, it's, it's risen, it's, it's grown. Okay. But in the crowd, it goes on, verse 34, all these things Jesus said to them in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And then on in verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house. So the crowd that day sees Jesus in a boat and hears him convey thoughts about farming and farming and a mustard seed and leavened dough. And then he went inside the house. Now, if you're that crowd, you may say to yourself, well, every teacher has an off day, right? Because you may think there, there is nothing of significance here. This is just strange, uh, not all that informative. So the crowds may leave in that kind of way. But from the context of this chapter, it's clear to see this is all this crowd gets. And it seems this is all they understand, surface level kinds of things here. But as you read the whole chapter, you see there is immense amounts of significance in all these parables that the crowds are not seeing and are not hearing. But the disciples will. So let's move on now. The word to the disciples. Going back to verse 10. So verse 10 and verse 36, it says the disciples came to him. Both those verses, 10 and 36, the disciples came to him, and they're wanting to find out some more elaboration on these parables and what's going on here. And they wonder why parables, which he'll make clear as we go on. So verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In other words, you, since chapter 4 onwards, have turned from sin and chosen to follow me, believe in me. They have not. Therefore you hear, you really hear, you really see. And though they hear and see with their physical eyes and ears, they're not really genuinely seeing all the importance of what I'm saying and showing to them. He goes on, verse 12, for the one who has more will be given and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they have understanding. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, which says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus is comparing the crowds to the people back in Isaiah's day, saying they are spiritually deaf and blind just like they were. The question I have is, why? Why? And if we look back just at a couple of passages in Isaiah, I do think we have some clues leading up to Isaiah 6. So Isaiah 1 verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. This is the key. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. They have forsaken God and His Word. Chapter 5. We're going to verse, verse 20 here. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness. Their blossom go up like dust. Here's a key again. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. The people in Isaiah's day had heard the word of the Lord. The people in Jesus' day had heard the word of the Lord from the mouth of Jesus himself. The issue is, they've heard it, but haven't heard it. They've seen it, but haven't seen it. They're spiritually deaf and blind toward those things. They are refusing to receive the truth that God has brought to them, and thereby, they will suffer eternal 
consequences unless they turn and receive the truth of God's word. So that's the reality. But then he goes on in verse 16 of Matthew 13, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So now he's going to go on to say, hey, disciples, you're the ones who've embraced this by faith. So now hear this explanation of these parables with the heart of faith. I want to say to you and to me right now, let's hear these parables with the heart of faith, recognizing this is true and Jesus is calling us to understand and embrace and hear and see these things. So first, the parable of the sower, he explains in verse 18, and this is about our heart response. By the way, before I read this, quick time out. When Jesus, we should know this, I know, but let me just, just say this. When Jesus explains the meaning of a parable, that's the meaning of the parable. I want to just say that because we can at times, or read books, I've read books that, that painfully overinterpret what the parable means. And when Jesus interprets it for us, that's what it means. I just want to say that, so let's just see what he says about this. So he tells the parable of the sower, now he's about to explain it, so we all know this is what it is. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. This is about heart response. The word of God is never insufficient to accomplish its purposes. The word of God is always accomplishing its purposes. Every time. The issue is the heart. And notice in this explanation, everyone's hearing. Everyone's hearing with their physical ears. The question is, are you hearing? Are you receiving as truth? Are you implementing? Are you saying, yes, I affirm this is real, God-given truth that I come under in submission gladly? That's the question. The question is, are we enduring in the word? Enduring, whether tribulation or distress or worldliness or whatever else comes, that are you, you're enduring in that word. That's the key of this parable. He goes on uh, in the parable of the weeds, which we read in verse 24 to 30, and he explains in verse 36. If you turn there, he left the crowds, went to the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. 
He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. There you go. Right there. That's what it is. So, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's a parable about final judgment. Jesus will eternally judge and eternally save. Those who do not repent of sin, do not believe in Christ, are destined for eternal judgment in the lake of fire. Those who do repent and do believe are destined for eternal salvation in a new creation. He's saying that day will come. It will come. So be ready for that day. We read the mustard seed and the leaven, verses 31 to 33, about kingdom growth. Mustard seed, tree, small, big. Dough this leavened, starts small, an hour or two later, it's bigger. The kingdom of God starts small, starts insignificant, grows almost imperceptibly, yet it is growing. The kingdom of God is growing by means of people bowing the knee to Jesus and saying, yes, I believe in him as Savior and Lord and treasure, and that's happening all over this world. That's reality. There's a parable of hidden treasure in the pearl in verse 44. It's about kingdom value here. Verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. The point of this set of parables is the kingdom of God is of inestimable value. You can't price this thing. King Jesus, the king of that kingdom, is of such value, such surpassing worth. We would, like Paul, say, I count all things as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. That he is the great gain. If I were to lose everything else in my life, I would have gained. He's that valuable. The kingdom is that valuable. That's the point of that set of parables there to say he is the king. That's the kingdom and the king is that valuable. That's why in verse 44 it says, in his joy he sells all that he has to buy that field. Because if you lose everything else but gain Jesus, that is the pathway to infinite, eternal, awesome joy. So as Psalm 16, 11 says, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. That's why someone like 
Jim Elliott, well-known missionary martyr of the last century, would say he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And why after his death, his wife and other women would go to the same people who killed their husbands and seek to minister to those people. How do you do that? You do that by seeing, oh, the king and his kingdom is of such value, I'll lay everything else down to make that known and love and embrace that in my life. You may say, that's an extreme kind of an example. Okay, cool. So let's just say then, man, I see the king and the kingdom. They're so valuable. That would then free me, friends. It would free me to be a generous person. It would free me to be a lavishly loving person. I can lay it down and love and be generous and do all these things because the kingdom is amazingly valuable. The king is awesome. He goes on in verse 47, this parable of the net, again, final judgment here. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, our God will eternally save and judge when he comes again. In verse 51, he says, have you understood all these things? Have you heard? Now the crowds, we hear that question say, uh, I don't think so. The disciples, they respond, and I hope we respond by saying, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So in saying yes to this, what you're saying is, yes, Jesus, I, in listening to and understanding and believing in your words, I, I'm learning to discern how to interpret the way in which you fulfill every promise and prophecy and truth in the Old Testament and how the whole Bible fits together with you as the climax, as the Messiah. I'm seeing how all that fits together, this kingdom of God and how it's coming to fruition. This chapter ends really ironically, I think. Because we're going to see at the end here, Jesus get rejected again. But again, a reminder that we should hear and embrace him. So in verse 53, Jesus had finished these parables. He went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. So that they're astonished at first. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom, these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Maybe you've had the experience, I don't know, 
of being a hometown and then going off to a job or to college, gaining education and experience for some time. And then you get a job back in your hometown and you come back and you're working there and you see people who knew you all of your life and you, you have these skills now, this experience now to do this job really well. And they make a comment like, yeah, I recall when you were three. And they, they recount some humorous story about what you did and, and all this. There, there's not this level of like lots of respect per se. It's like, yeah, you're, you're one of us. Don't think you're whatever. You're just one of us. And, and here, and it's bad enough for you or I to have that happen, but think of the Son of Man, the Son of God in his own hometown being rejected, saying, man, we know, you're the carpenter's son, right? We know his mom and brothers and sisters, and you're from here. Hey, who do you think you are? And just really outright rejecting Jesus and his message. They are enacting the very first parable Jesus tells in this chapter. They're like the path or shallow soil or thorny soil, not enduring in the word that Jesus has for them. And it's a warning to his friends to say, don't go there, don't hear Jesus teach, don't see who he is and say, I reject that. We're called here to embrace him, to embrace him for who he is, to know him and to love him and to worship him. So quite a journey in this chapter, lots to go through and think through in this. And again, the call to hear the word of the kingdom, embrace the king, and live as kingdom citizens. So how should we respond? A couple of thoughts here. First, if you're here and you find yourself hearing this with a heart of unbelief, hey, there's doubt, cynicism, boredom, at the idea of who Jesus is and what he says, and a hardened heart toward what he's calling you to. Friends, I want to say to you, children in the room, students in the room, adults in the room, I want to say to you, he is calling you to see who he is, to see what he's done, to hear what he's said, and to embrace it as truth and respond in faith. That's the call today. For those who don't know Christ, the call is believe. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh who lived a perfect life on our behalf, who died on our behalf, who rose again, who ascended, so that we could then be in a place where by turning from our sin for satisfaction and identification, we could turn to Jesus for satisfaction and identification. And by faith say, he is the one that I embrace. He is the one that I'll follow. I recognize he saved me from sin. He's the Lord I submit to. He is the greatest treasure imaginable. And the call today from this text is to embrace him as that. To leave a heart of doubt and cynicism and boredom and to recognize this is King Jesus calls for your allegiance. I would encourage you 
with elders down front after the service today to come and pray with one of them and learn what it means to embrace the gospel of the kingdom and live for Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you're a believer here, if you're a believer in this room, a few, a few things I want to encourage you with in these parables. There are a number of things. First, let's hear and read the word. Let's hear it with understanding. Let's embrace it. Let's apply it. Let's do it with joy. Let's be a people of the book. Let's open it alone. Let's open it together and get in the book and know what's going on. Engaging with the Bible so as to see the glory of God contained in Scripture is the means by which we grow. Also, secondly, teach the Word of God. Let's, let's, let's be a Colossians 3.16 kind of church. And that verse says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Oh, friends, in our ABFs, our small groups, class context, over the dining room table, and dinner together, let's talk Bible. Let's encourage one another with biblical truth. Third, let's, let's take joy and have hope in the fact that Christ will return. He will come again. He will make all things right. That is a reality. That's our hope in the present. Know that next year, the kingdom is growing. It is growing. Avail yourself of things like Operation World, good book, or Joshua Project, website uh, to go to, and see the gospel is infiltrating all of planet Earth. And it's so amazing to see how God is at work. And then know the value of the kingdom of God and King Jesus. It is unsurpassable. Pray that we would recognize the value of the kingdom of God and King Jesus is unsurpassed. I want to live my life in such a way that I recognize that and live like that's actually true and value that more than entertainment. Value that more than money and job and relationships and see, man, seeing the world like that helps me live in a certain way with material possessions and time and work and relationships and church and recreation. The call, friends, is to, to hear the word of the kingdom and embrace the king and live as kingdom citizens. If, if you're a believer here today and you're discouraged that the, the world does not value the kingdom of God like you do, I want to encourage you not to be discouraged, not to lose heart. I want to encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to encourage you to know there's nothing worth seeking with all of you have besides the kingdom of God and King Jesus. This is the call on our lives. And don't forget, the kingdom of God has started small, it's growing imperceptibly at times, but it is growing, it is going forward. It may feel like, man, I read the headlines, it seems like evil's winning, sin is winning, it's going badly for us. Keep being told, like, hey, you people, you're on the wrong side of history. All these phrases that are used. Maybe, maybe our hearts are a little too invested in the kingdom of America and not invested enough in the kingdom of God. 
maybe we need to turn off the news a little more often, turn off apps a little more often on our phones, and open our Bibles a little more often to remind ourselves of the hope we have in the kingdom of God. Because friends, the kingdom of God will prevail. Death and sin and Satan will be decisively, finally defeated. He, God, will make all things new. There will be no more sin, sorrow, pain, or death because the former things will pass away. They will be gone. God and his people will see darkness vanquished. There will be eternal victory for God and for his people. That's true. That is as factual and as genuine and as real as it gets. As real as we may think the world looks and says, oh man, it seems so dominant and so against us. The kingdom of God is all this chapter says and will one day be the actual total reality of a new creation. So we need eyes to see this. We need ears to hear this. Say, God, give me hope in that. Give me joy. Give me peace in that. Let me operate in goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because of those things. So friends, let's hear the word of the kingdom and embrace the king, Jesus, and live as kingdom citizens by his grace and know we have a great hope in Christ that cannot be overcome. Father, I pray that as we hear these words today, we would embrace them. We would be those who have ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, I pray for these men and women. I pray for myself, God, as we continue as a church, whatever age we are, whatever, where we are in life with the things that we're facing, we, we need this. We need to recognize your kingdom is so real and so valuable that you will come again to make all things right. God, I pray our perspective will be shaped by those truths in such a way we would be a change agent with the good news of the gospel in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.